that is really one of the challenges that the church has today. Are we going to just pack it in and say, we're not going to do evangelism because it's hard, or we, we're not going to try to persuade because they're not going to listen to us. Uh, they're so caught up in expressive individualism and other things that, you know, we just need to go into our own kind of communities and and try to be safe and, and try to do what's right. Or are we going to continue to press out forward? Welcome to Christ and Culture the podcast of the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Here we'll explore how the Christian faith intersects all avenues of today's culture through conversations with leading thinkers. Welcome to the conversation. Hey everyone, I'm Ken Keithley. And I'm Benjamin Quinn. And in today's episode of Christ and Culture, we'll talk with Drs. Joshua Shatro and Mark Allen about their book, The Augustine Way. And after that, we'll have another edition of On My Bookshelf. But first, it's time for our popular segment called Headlines, in which we look at some aspect of the headlines, such as news, sports, pop culture, or business from a Christian perspective. And in today's edition of Headlines, we're going to talk about a particularly sad event that happened just a few days ago, the earthquake in Morocco. Yes, last week ended with a deadly earthquake in Morocco. At the time of the recording of this podcast, more than 2,500 people have been reported dead. And here to discuss with us today is Tom Beam. Tom serves as Disaster Relief Coordinator with the Baptists on Mission. Tom, will you just tell us who are Baptists on Mission? Sure. Baptist on Mission is an auxiliary to the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina. Uh, We have partnership missions in many states and many countries around the world. Uh, We're involved in disaster relief, men's ministry, student children's ministries, uh, 19 different ways people can be involved in missions across North Carolina and around the world through Baptist Home Mission. Tom, what are some of the ways that we can help and the ways that we can pray for for the people of Morocco? So what we're hearing from uh, Send Relief Uh, international through the International Mission Board is uh, we're hearing that the missionaries in Morocco, they're they're on the ground, they're assisting people. Uh, They're asking for uh, people from the United States and beyond uh, to pray for their work as they're able to figure out the best way to minister. It's still a fresh disaster. Uh, It's just happened. It's very difficult to get in right now to determine exactly the best way to help people. Also, sending funds through the Send Relief uh, Fund uh, is also a way. I know that there is a team on their way over to assist with assessing the way that Baptists can be involved in in the work in Morocco. Um, The Baptist General Association of Virginia is one of those uh, state conventions that are directly related to Northern Africa. North Carolina's, uh, our area is Eastern Europe and South America. Every state disaster relief has a different area of the world that they relate to. So for Morocco, uh, that's the Baptist General Association of Virginia. And uh, so we've let them know that we're happy to partner with them. Uh, Anything that they need that we can provide, we'll be happy to do that. It looks like right now that most of those needs will be financial so that the missionaries on the ground can take care of those needs there in Morocco. 
Tom, thank you for all the work you guys do. I know you're no stranger to these kinds of disasters and all that goes with that. So thanks for leading in the efforts for North Carolina Baptists and for the different areas you guys service around the world. Um, can you tell us one more time, what is that link that we can give to through Send Relief? Yeah, I'll be happy to provide the link to Send Relief in order for people to give to uh, the efforts in Morocco. Thank you, Tom. Listeners, we will have that for you in the show notes. You can follow that link for giving to the Send Relief efforts in Morocco. This year, our overarching theme here at the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture is Challenges to Humanity. We're discussing this topic on this podcast and also in our Faith and Culture Mentorship Program. Now, the book our mentees will study is called The Augustan Way, Retrieving a Vision for the Church's Apologetic Witness. And today we're pleased to have with us the authors of the book, Drs. Joshua Shatro and Mark Allen. Dr. Shatro is the Billy Graham Chair of Evangelism and Cultural Engagement at Samford University's Beeson Divinity School, and Dr. Allen is Professor of Biblical and Theological Studies at Liberty University. Josh and Mark, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having us. For our listeners who may not know, who was Augustine? When did he live and where did he live? Augustine lived from 354 to 430, uh, mostly in North Africa, but his influence has spread well beyond that area. He shaped Roman Catholic and Reformation theology. Uh, we have about 5 million of Augustine's written words. Uh, he wrote discourses against Pelagius, the Donatus, the Manichaeans. Uh, we have volumes of his sermons and many of his letters. His probably most famous books are uh, Confessions, The City of God, On the Trinity, and On Christian Doctrine. But he was primarily uh, a pastor. He was a pastor theologian doing theology in response to ministry on the ground, right where he lived in North Africa. He was also an apologist defending the Christian faith and persuading uh, others to come to faith. Uh, it's important to know that he walked away from the faith in his early days. He, he grew up in a Christian home, but then at least his mother was a Christian, and he walked away from the faith. Also, I think it's important and relevant to apologetics to know that he lived in a pluralistic society. Although the Roman world he lived in had been influenced by Christianity, pluralistic paganism sort of captured the memory and the uh, imagination of the world that he grew up in. It is extraordinary what you just said, that we have some five million of his words. I mean, there there's Martin Luther, our Karl Barth, that we have a comparable amount, but both of those men lived uh, in the days of the printing press. It shows just the importance that the early church put upon Augustine's writings, yes. that they would record by hand a scribe would would write down five million of his words. So he is extraordinary. And as you said, there's so many works that you have to work from, but there's two that you gave special attention. You focused upon his confessions and then his city of God. Those are two very different books, wrote at two different times in his life, two different settings. Why did you pick those two books? 
on the surface level, I would say when you first come to those two books, you might say they're they're very different. But I would I would suggest one of the one of the links, and we see many, but one of the links is they're both love stories. In Confessions, you have a love story of love gone bad in Augustine's own life, where he's loving all the wrong things. And because of that, there's this restlessness, this kind of shrapnel that that comes into his life. And he ultimately sees that and understands that as God actually using pain and suffering and, and this actually his own sin to wake him up to what he was meant to love. And it's really his own personal account of finding uh, the love he was meant for, which is God alone. And then as he turns some many years later, he, he writes Confessions in 397, uh, had been a uh, had been in the ministry for about six years. And then a while later, when this cultural crisis hits uh, in 413, he begins to write about, while well, he's he's responding to the pagans who are charging Christians uh, with being actually the culprits for the fall of Rome. And they're saying, hey, this is before Christianity really, really became a leader in the the empire things were great and now look the empire is falling apart and it's the christian's fault and so he now as an established pastor a bishop he is responding to that but the way he does so is by actually again telling a love story but now it's it's um the city of man and the love of self they're ultimately driven this community by love of self versus um the heavenly city that is uh, what distinguishes them is love of God, this love that he found uh, so many years before now, he's looking at how living for the love of God, first and foremost, actually shapes a community that's different. So really, there's, there's, tie, there's a tie-in in that he's focusing on his own life and confessions, but then He's kind of magnifying that and opening that up in the city of God to how does this actually look in a community contrasted with love of self or love of power or these various things that drive communities. And ultimately, um, he wrote both works in order to persuade people to love God, the true living God. And he does that in narrative format. So we 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 could we could have picked up kind of as you said five million words mark we uh, we could have picked up a lot of different things so we had to focus and one of the interesting things though is that people have have looked at these these two works as really two of his greatest works and yet people really haven't mined them for their apologetic value even though in a letter after the city of God he says this is my apologetic magnum opus, so to speak. I mean, he says, this is the book I want pagans to read. And when he's writing later about confessions, he talks about he wrote it so that people would be persuaded to love God. And so for both of those reasons, we think these are really important apologetic works. So you made reference to Augustine's cultural moment uh, that provides the setting for the city of God. He is a bishop in Northern Africa. A lot of people maybe fail to realize just how much of Northern Africa was part of the Roman Empire. I have to tell you, 20 years ago, I got to visit Augustine's church. I mm-hmm. I toured uh, North Africa, and I've actually stood on his pulpit. And so uh, it's remarkable just how many 
magnificent Roman ruins there still are uh, in North Africa. And you realize it was, you know, that part of the world was a thriving part of the Roman Empire. And the empire had been around for nearly a thousand years. Christianity had arrived, of course, in the first century. By the time we come around to Augustine, it is a major force in the Roman Empire, even though, as you said, it's still a pluralistic uh, society. Yet things are not going well. There are some things happening that uh, has the whole empire talking. Tell us what were those crises that you've referenced? What's going on that compels Augustine to write what he does? I, I think one in particular is the sack of Rome. And in the, with the sack of Rome, many of the elites, land uh, wealthy landholders from you know, the Roman area would came down to North Africa. And at that time, there was a resurgence of paganism and the, the resurgence, as we mentioned earlier, of pluralism. So within his very congregation, he would have people listening to him because he was such an orator, such a great preacher. He would have those who, who had migrated down to that area, along with others who would, uh, had grown up in the Greco-Roman culture. And so there was this resurgence of pluralism. At the same time, there was a, a beginning to be a belief, a cultural narrative that Christianity was bad. That although it had, uh, in some at some level, not as much today as in our Western culture, but at some important level, I did grasp the imagination of the culture. But there, with this shift, there was a real question in the air: uh, Is Christianity good for the culture? Is Christianity good for people? And so I think that's one of the the connecting points. If we think about our culture, this past. Even this past week, as I was preaching, I'm an interim pastor, and I was preaching and and letting the people kind of know. And some of the some of the folks in the uh, in our congregation are older folks. And I said, you know, uh, as you were growing up, people would would question whether Christianity is true. Uh, the force today is of questioning is is Christianity good? That's a very is, good point. Is it good for people? And that is an issue. Uh, Augustine face as well. Well, in that light, uh, you wrote, uh, a changing culture would not surprise or exasperate Augustine. He saw it in his own time. But the idea that we would be unwilling to adapt how we attempt to persuade likely would have. I would say, along the lines of what Mark has already brought forward, is there's a there's a certain way that apologetics has been done within Western culture, a certain way that can assume people have a certain intuitions and common sense um, that uh, of, you might say, a, a, a Christian context or uh, at least understand our categories or at least reason in the ways ways that we reason. And then it's it's very easy then when we get in evangelistic uh opportunities or we're talking to someone to and we're not persuasive using maybe some of the strategies of that we learned in seminary or learned in our churches to kind of throw our hands up in the air and say well they're just anti-intellectual or 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 well, they, they just don't listen to reason and what what i would say and i think what augustine would say is pastorally we we need to be patient we need to say well maybe 
maybe we're actually trying to use arguments that worked within Christendom, but in a po- in an increasingly post-Christian context, we need to both learn from 2000 years and the, and the resources that we have. And that's what we're trying to do in this book. And at the same time, be creative in how we argue in this new, in this new context. And I think that is really one of the challenges that the church has today. Are we going to just pack it in and say, we're not going to do evangelism because it's hard, or we we're not going to try to persuade because they're not going to listen to us. Uh, They're so caught up in expressive individualism and other things that, you know, we just need to go into our own kind of communities and and try to be safe and and try to do what's right? Or are we going to continue to press out forward? And and for Augustine, uh, one of the things that's often missed with Augustine is when he's writing, he's doing his serious theological work in City of God, he is evangelistic. He is out for conversion. And so you have our, our great church father, Augustine, who is doing evangelism as he's doing his scholarship. And I think that's a, a great model for pastors and, and those in the academy today. He's not giving up, even as some people in his context were panicking. Some of the other leaders were panicking around him. So I think there's a lot of lessons for us, uh, given our cultural context today. Yeah, I think that's such a great point, The way that, and, and I like the way you put it. I'm I'm almost reminded of what someone said about C.S. Lewis. They said he didn't simply want to persuade you that the gospel is true. Uh, he tried to make sure you wanted it to be true. Yeah. Uh, and and it seems it sounds like you're saying that Augustine took m- much of the same approach in that he not only showed the the truthfulness of Christianity, but also its its goodness and its beauty. And and so there's so much there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what role does the church then play uh, in apologetics? How would how would you understand Augustine to be speaking about how the church ought to be going about this task? I would think that Augustine, uh, if if we study his uh, sermons, if we study his ministry as a pastor, he's very contextual to his moment and to the people who were sitting right in front of him. So I think what is important is to do apologetics for the people in the local church, to the people that are, are living in, in a certain time, in a certain space, and to see how they can be formed into, um, into disciples who can do apologetics. And so that, that would mean that spiritual formation is a very important part of apologetics. Hmm. That through our preaching, through our liturgies, through our small groups, singing together, reciting the Psalms together, all of these things are very important to form apologists. So the place where the apologist primarily needs to be formed is not necessarily in the academy, although that is important. We believe it's important. We're, we both work in the academy. Um, the primary place, and but we both are very serious about the local church and forming people in the local church. So the primary place where we form apologists is in the uh, local church. Plus the, the local church needs to be a place that becomes a um, plausibility structure for the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that, that people can see within the lives of our community that we are living out this faith and that the, the, Christ is truly risen from the dead, 
because uh, they they can believe it. It can be more plausible, and our our arguments make more sense when the reality of of Christ is lived out in a in a community. So, uh, the ecclesia of the church is vital to apologetics. Just to echo what Mark is saying, one of the great things is confessions is you're on this kind of Augustine's inviting us on this spiritual journey with with him. And he's grown up in this uh, he's grown up in this split home with a pagan father and a and a Christian mother. And he kind of has his own coming of age story where he says, like, this is these are old wives tales. I'm, I'm stepping away from Christianity. So he went through his own deconstruction. Mm-hmm. And then yet now as a bishop, he's writing and he's looking back and he's seeing how the Lord is taking him through these various world and life views, these different philosophies. And he reaches this point in confessions where he's kind of come to an end of himself. And he he's like, well, that wasn't right. The Manichees weren't, aren't right. And uh, I know I'm pursuing this Roman glory, but it's not really fulfilling me. And yet, and but then he meets he meets a pastor by the name of Ambrose and he listens to him preach really just because he was a, he heard he was a great rhetorician and he wanted to hear the, hear him and what he said. But as, as he was listening to him, he couldn't separate the style from the content. And he began to think in church, he's in church and he's maybe, maybe this is, maybe it possibly could be true, but then he wasn't convinced yet. And so he's in this kind of moment of in between. And he says, so I decided to become a catechumen in the church (laughs) and just to see, like, just to kind of try this on until, until something else better came along. And so it was actually, I, I, if you understand what Augustine's doing confessions, that is an invitation Mm -hmm. for his readers to do the same. Yeah. Um, Example was very important in confessions. It was important in his conversion. We see that later on in confessions. But that is that is this cue for his readers and his listeners to say, how about you try on church? How about you enter in? Of course, there's apologetic work to kind of deconstruct those other worldviews. But then when somebody gets to an end to themselves or comes to an end to themselves to say, well, why don't you try this on? And I think in our moment of anxiety and loneliness and all the kind of cultural things going on right now, that that kind of pointing out to people, as Augustine was doing in narrative form of saying, hey, that's not working. That's not working. Do you see where that's going? Yeah, that's called idolatry. That's that's how it ends up. Why don't you try this on? But that that assumes that this church, the church is a hospital for sinners that means that our churches are built in such a way that we we take in sinners (laughs) and we love sinners and we bring them uh the medicine of christ to their wounds and so that's the vision i think for augustine and apologetics in the church yeah no that's that's fantastic in fact it it segues very much into the question i wanted to ask because you know this year at the bush center we're focusing on challenges to humanity uh, the various challenges, such as challenges of identity, mental health, uh, race, technology, whole life, civic engagement. Uh, it's such a broad thing. Um, and you've, you've hinted at it already, and you've said many things that would already be applicable. But what can Augustine teach us about approaching these challenges? Yeah, I think I would segue from what Josh said right into to, to the issue. One of the things in, that was very meaningful to me in reading Confessions, when he reflected on 
being a Manichaeist who was, uh, you know, kind of the, they were the rock star religion, the hipsters, the, the very highly rationalistic uh, thinker thinkers, at least they regarded themselves that way. And um, so Augustine hung out with them. And then he tried the philosophers and the intellectuals uh, trying to reach God through, you know, reflection, meditation. And um, then he just, <laughs> the academics who questioned everything, um, you know, and, but he said this, uh, in, in all of those pursuits, there was no healing there, mm. no healing. There was no true therapy. And I think looking at, at souls uh, that we minister to is disordered and broken and hurting and looking at the, and he called it the medicine of the gospel, the medicine of Christ through the wisdom of Christ, through the healing of Christ, through the humility of Christ, there is this, this healing that sets us right with God, reorders our lives, and brings and brings healing to us. So I think that's just one a- aspect that I would say where it does, really addresses some of the issues that you're looking at here is that Jesus Christ, and this doesn't mean that we, we don't think that there's a place for, for therapy and counseling and these sort of things, but looking at people as not just information processors, but as souls who desire and hunger. is very important. It was important to Augustine. Josh and Mark, tell us once again the name of your book. The Augustine Way, Retrieving a Vision for the Church's Apologetic Witness. And where can our listeners buy your book? Well, I think uh, Baker Academic would appreciate if you go to Baker Academic. And I think usually they have a pretty good price on it. But of course, you can get it at Amazon.com and other places that sell uh, sell books as well. Thank you, fellas, so much. And now it's time for On My Bookshelf the part of the show where our guests tell us what they are reading now. So, Drs. Chatro and Alan, what's on your bookshelf right now? I'm rereading Paul Colbay's book, Augustine and the Cure of Souls, uh, revising a classical ideal, and it's uh, University of Notre Dame Press. did some research uh, for the Augustine Way into this book, uh, but I'm reading it now because I'm writing another book for Baker Academic called The Whole Life Pastor. And there is a chapter, it's going to be titled The Whole Person. And it's about Augustine's preaching, this book, uh, the Augustine and the Cure of Souls, and how he sort of captured this classical idea that souls could be healed through words. But he took that idea, baptized it, in Christian theology, and then used it in his preaching. And and as he preached the gospel of Christ, as he preached the mediation of Christ, he uh, actually uh, sought to heal the soul and cure souls through preaching. So it's a fantastic book. I've enjoyed uh, reading it. Excellent choice. Josh, how about you? I'm preparing to teach my first class here at Beeson, and I'm teaching evangelism. And so I've I've just finished rereading my friend Jamie Smith's How Not to Be Secular, reading Charles Taylor. 
And for those of you who haven't read Charles Taylor, it's a great little, uh, especially for pastors, people who don't want to read the 800, 900 page tome that is a secular age to understand not only, I think, uh, just an important thinker in Charles Taylor and and his analysis of culture, which uh, is relevant for this podcast. But what Jamie does is he is able to bring that down into why does this matter for church planners and and pastors and evangelists. And there has been, I mean, there, there there's no doubt about it. There There's in our evangelism courses, there's, I'm, I'm not saying for everybody's, but at least when I went through, there's a kind of anti-intellectualism within evangelism. And I'm saying this as an evangelism teacher, but I think I think one of the things that I love about Taylor and, and Jamie's summary of it is it's this kind of deep analysis of culture, but then re- very relevant questions for us as we think about evangelism in an increasingly post-Christian setting and as we send out church planners. So I'm excited to use the book and to, to use it for evangelism. I am one of those who has uh, Charles Taylor's uh, book, A Secular Age. And I have, I think I have waded through about 150 to 200 pages. And then I have to confess, I grabbed a hold of Jamie Smith's book and, 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 and read his excellent work that you just recommended. Thank you, both Mark and Josh, for your recommendations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, thank you so much for both joining us today. Uh, how can people follow your work? Well, I hate to say it, but maybe what not to follow is my Facebook page. It's too much uh, family. And my Twitter page is just a bunch of Bible verses. But I can say, you know, the way to follow our, our work is to read our books, this one and, a, and um, other, uh, other books that we've written, Apologetics at the Cross. I'm teaching at Liberty University. I'm sure we all three would invite people to come and study at our places. And so uh, that's another way uh, that you can follow uh, my work. Excellent. Yes, all three are great institutions, and we all three would enthusiastically yeah. recommend students come to our respective institutions. Absolutely. Josh, how can how can people follow your work? Yeah, I'm with Mark, so I, I'm not. I've intentionally not done too much with social media, and uh, so the best way is to to buy our books <laughs> or to I check hear them you. Out, I hear you. Check That's them out from the library. Or to, to come on to Birmingham and um, and and study with me, I, I I love that. And and as you said, I'm a I'm a proud graduate of Southeastern, and it's a it's a wonderful place. Thank you both, fellas, and thank you everyone for listening to the Christ and Culture podcast. If you enjoyed it, give us a five star rating and a brief review on your favorite podcast platform, and we'll see you next week. <music>